How many of you have ever seen American Idol? Some of you men are ashamed to raise your hands. I understand. Uh, Randy Jackson. Anybody that's ever seen knows who Randy Jackson is, correct? He was, I think he's been a judge or was a judge. I think he just stepped down. From day one, his famous fa- phrase when someone did good was what? That dog, they're in it. They're in it to win it. Which he was saying they did a great job and they did what they should have done and they've got a chance to, uh, to be successful. You know, in the Christianity, we're in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Christianity in the New Testament is often described in athletic terms, which is interesting because uh, 2,000 years later in America, you know, we live in an athletic, saturated culture. Uh, interestingly enough, Paul and Jesus did too. It was an athletically saturated culture. And Christianity is also uh, 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 often compared to a race or an athletic event. And I want to tell you, as a Christian, it's different type of winning. But, man, you need to be in it to win it. And winning it in the Christianity doesn't mean we're stepping on other people, tripping our competitors. The only, only competitor we have is Satan. And we are in it to win it. By that, I mean we are in it to be faithful to Jesus Christ to the very end. We are supposed to be in it to win it. Hebrews 12, I want to give you some keys to winning and being faithful to Jesus to the end of your days. Here's the first thing. We have a great and godly legacy. We have... We have a great godly legacy. Now, I know some of you may be saying, well, man, my mom or my dad or my grandparents, they weren't believers. They weren't. I don't have a godly legacy. Well, we really all do in Jesus Christ. In verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The first part of this verse is what we're going to talk about right now. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The word cloud in the Greek culture was often used to talk about a large group of people. And and that's what he says here. We are surrounded by a great cloud, a large group of people. And, And the word there, witnesses, is where we get our English word martyr from, a martyr. And the word witness in the Greek culture meant one of three things. And this is significant to what we're talking about. It was either a legal witness, somebody in a court of law, who was brought in to testify uh, under promise or oath. It was someone who had seen and or experienced some things, which is going to be important, or it was a martyr. I think in the context what he's saying here, these witnesses are one who have experienced the Christian life, who have been there, done that, and were successful, the ones he's talking about. Obviously, he's pointing back to chapter 11 to some degree uh, where it gives this great cloud of witnesses, this great cloud of leaders. Now, what is he talking about when he says, we, he's talking to Christians, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We are surrounded by a great crowd of people who have been there, done that, who have been in the Christian fight, who have been in the Christian life, and who were successful and who went to heaven getting an A+. plus. What does it mean? Well, one of two things. It maybe means they're watching us this evening. That is a common thought, probably not the best thought, but he says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, again, keeping with the athletic metaphor, 
in a game, in a coliseum, you were surrounded by what? Or in a gymnasium, you're surrounded as you're playing the game by people watching you. And so there's some thought that he's saying here that Moses, that David, those people are watching us today. They have, they have been successful. They're seeing how we're doing in the competition. You know, I'll just use my family. I remember years ago one of my family members saying after my dad had passed away, they were holding, playing with their little baby, his grandkid, and they said, oh, daddy's probably watching Junior playing with the pacifier today. And I was thinking if daddy is watching half of what's going on down here, he is not in heaven. He is somewhere else. <laughs> By that, I mean there's no way in heaven they're seeing everything that's going on down here or they're not in heaven. Amen? (laughs) They're not going to be happy. I'm not sure that the best understanding is this, is that the saints in heaven are watching us today because, again, I'm not sure that would be completely heaven. You understand? The second thought is, is not that they're watching us, but that they they have set a great example for us. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Remember the word witness means a martyr or a testifier is one meaning. It means someone who has been there, done that, and was successful. And I'm not sure the main idea of what God's saying here. Listen, some of you tonight, all of us here, I think, are trying to live for Jesus. Hopefully you're trying to take that next step for God. You're trying to be faithful. You're trying to be true. And I'm going to hit on this a lot. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough. I remember as a young pastor, two men, one was in his 40s. The other guy was in his early 30s. Both of them had been saved at my church. Both of them came to me a year or two later and said, Man, I never realized how hard it is to live for Christ. It is hard. One of the things he's saying to us here is, Look, it is hard. But you read your Bible and you see there, there is a great multitude of people who were even killed and burned alive and sawed in two and stoned to death for God and remained faithful. F.F. Bruce, a great New Testament scholar, said it's not so much that they're probably looking at us as that we should look to them for their example. In other words, if they did it, I can do it, okay? I want to encourage you in your Christian life tonight to tell you no matter if mom or dad failed you, you still have a great legacy because as a Christian... We are connected with all those who have gone before us. We have a great legacy, okay? Now, here's another thing. He tells us to look to them. Now he tells us to look at ourselves. He tells us, throw off everything that's hindering you living and serving Christ. Now, this gets a little more personal. The first thing's fun. This is not as fun. Throw off everything that's hindering you from living or serving Christ your best. Now, let me have your attention just for a second. Now, I hope I have your attention the whole sermon, so that's kind, of, that's kind of like saying as a preacher, let me be honest with you now, I've been lying to you up to this point. Um, everybody here has got some junk that is hindering you, okay? So listen, uh, think about what's hindering you in your life because this applies to every one of us 110%. Here's the first thing. There's good and just neutral things, things that aren't evil or bad that are in the way for you this evening. You've heard those saying the enemy of the best is good. That's true with a lot of us tonight. A lot of you tonight may not go home and struggle with pornography or bank robbing or or beating your husband 
or whatever it is. (laughs) But you've got good things in your life that are keeping the best things from coming to fruitation in your heart. Verse verse 1 again. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Throw off means to put aside. It means to lay aside. It's like taking off a coat and putting it, putting it down or putting it in the closet. The word everything, you know, uh, there's, some, there's some not so intelligent, in my opinion, Bible scholars who, who struggle with the word everything and all. Let me tell you, if you struggle with the word everything and all, in my opinion, you're not super smart. They mean what they mean. Amen. For God so loved the world, that means everybody. When he says everything here, what does it mean? It's not some mysterious Greek word. It means anything. It means everything and anything. That hinders, literally, that word means a weight. Now, this is going to get personal. It can mean bodily fat. It can mean mass. It can mean weight. It can mean anything that's keeping you from being who God wants you to be. Now, this is a little disgusting, but is historically accurate. In the, the Greek games, sometimes the runners, want, wanting nothing to hinder them, actually ran naked. Now, I'll be honest with you. As a fan, that would hinder me. Okay, or they ran barely clothed. Now, let's jump ahead 2,000 years ago. How many of you watched any of the Olympics last summer? I want to tell you the runners nowadays run almost naked. And the beach volleyball girls, that was pornography. If I'd had a teenage boy, we would not have watched that, I promise you. There's no way you're a better... Well, I won't get into that. I mean, it... There's no way that makes you better. But the philosophy is they don't want anything that hinders. You know, uh, sometimes you'll see a man who is a swimmer who shaves his head because he doesn't want anything to hinder. This is what God's saying here. God's saying, put aside anything that's hindering you living for Jesus Christ. I don't know if they still do, but, but athletes, we, in my day, we would wear uh, ankle weights and wrist weights and things to, to train. But you, you didn't want to run a race with ankle weights on or wrist weights on. You took those things off. What he's saying here tonight is that all of us have things that are either hindering us or close to hindering us living for Jesus. What is it with you tonight? We're going to talk about sin in a moment. We're just at good things. I want you to take a moment and do a personal inventory. And maybe this week, do an inventory. It's good to put, put your thoughts on paper, too, because paper's always more accurate than brains. You ever notice that? If I'm estimating food in my head, I can look at a, you know, a piece of pie and say, well, that's got 50 calories. But if I'm writing it down and I'm honest, it's got 350 calories, right? How much time do you spend watching TV? How much time do you spend playing on your phone? How much time do you spend surfing the Internet or playing games? Or exercise is great. How much time do you spend exercising? And then go back and look at this. How much time do you spend reading your Bible? How much time do you spend praying? How much time do you spend worshiping God? Do a church inventory the next six months and be accurate and honest. How many times are you in church on Sunday? I think it would surprise some 
people, if they really looked at it, and go, you know, over a course of a year, will I miss a Sunday a month? That's three months of church in a year. That's a lot when you look at it that way, isn't it? It's a whole lot when God says to be in church weekly. Amen? It's, that's, you know, that's a lot when you look at it that way. What, what's hindering you? Do an honest inventory with yourself, not with me or anybody else. What do you, listen, some of these things maybe you need to put aside. A lot of them you may not need to put aside. You need to reprioritize them. It's fine to surf the internet, but maybe 30 minutes a night instead of four hours a night. It's fine to watch TV if the show's appropriate, maybe for an hour or two or two hours a night versus eight hours in a day. You following me? God says, put aside anything that's hindering you. Some of us, when we're asked to serve at church, we can't do it. We can't serve. We can't. We've got too much going on. And, and some of that, some of that is you've got too much stuff and you need to reprioritize or you need to separate some stuff out of your life so you can serve Christ like he wants you to. All right? The enemy of the best oftentimes is good. Remember that. Keep write that down. That's a very important thought. Now, here's the second thing, and this is, this is easier. There's sinful things that are hindering your walk with Christ. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. And he goes on, and the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race with perseverance. Good things can get in the way of you and God, but so can sinful things. What, what is your sin tonight? What are you struggling with? It is sinful. And the word sin there, it, it can mean unbelief or it can just mean missing the mark with God. What is it that's keeping you from being who God wants you to be? Is it your mouth? You just gossip too much? Lazy? Apathetic? What is it? What, what, is, what sin are you dealing with? Is it pride? You know what keeps so many people from being who God wants them to be? It is pride. I don't mean pride in a good way. I mean ego, that they're not going to admit they're wrong, they're not going to repent, they're not going to make things right, and they're never going to be who God wants them to be until they get that right. Is there some secret sin that you're holding on to that you're just not letting go, and, and that is going to always hinder you in your walk with Christ. What is it this evening you need to let go? God says this, listen, to be who we need to be in Jesus, we got to, we got to remember we have a great legacy. That encourages us. And then we have to look at ourselves, and we've got to reprioritize or get rid of even good or neutral things that are hindering us with Jesus, and we've got to get rid of the sinful things. Okay? Now, here's the third thing he tells us this evening. We've got to live for Christ and serve him with endurance. With endurance. Verse 1 is packed with so much. You throw off everything that hinders, the sin that entangles, and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The word patience there, it means to abide. It means to stay with Christ. It means to endure. It means to endure the circumstances and not to surrender. Listen, don't surrender to the trials and temptations that you're going to face. He's saying live for God and do not surrender when it gets tough, when it gets hard, when you want to quit. Folks, the, the Christian life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Do you understand the difference? A sprint, if you don't, is a, what it means is it's an all-out 
100% race. At my age, a sprint's 20 yards. For, for this group, it's 100 to 200 yards is a sprint. All out. A marathon is 26.2 miles. At my age, you do that in a car, right? <laughs> Unless you're Ashley Hill. Uh, a marathon is not meant to be run 110% from the, the, the whistle blowing, okay? I have several friends that have run marathons. We have people in our church that run marathons. And if you ask them what they're going to tell you, you got, yeah, you got to train right. you got to eat right. You just don't wake up one day and Wayne and I go, hey, let's go run a marathon tomorrow. Yeah, and you'll be checking us out at the ICU unit tomorrow evening too. Uh, but you have to run a marathon with endurance. That you got to understand that probably at mile 18, it gets hard, doesn't it, Ashley? Uh, at mile 22, it gets hard. If you're going to finish the race, you got to understand it's a race of endurance. One thing that tripped me up as a young Christian is I've always been an all-or-nothing type person. I've always been, you go for it 110%. And then after about six months of trying to live for God at a full sprint, you know what happened to me? I was just, I was discouraged. You can't live for God as a sprint. It is a marathon. So tonight he says this. Maybe you'll be alive 70 more years. The goal is that 70 years from now you are closer to Christ, far closer than you are right now. And that you're faithful to the end. Maybe you're towards the end of your journey. Maybe five, ten years from now you're going to be in heaven. You know what the goal is for you? That you are faithful to the end. That you set your course. You go, look, I'm going to endure. I'm going to stay with it. I'm not going to give up before I get there. Some of you tonight, maybe you're close to, to giving up on Christ. You're, you're, you're close to wanting to quit on your prayer life, on your serving God, on coming to church. I, I want to tell you, hang in there. One thing perseverance shows is if a person's really saved. Folks, sometimes people who get baptized join a church and they're all gung-ho for Jesus, and then you don't see them after a while, sometimes that's just a sign they were never saved. Also, it's just kind of normal to get discouraged, though, isn't it? Let me give you two great verses tonight. Luke 18.1. Luke 18.1. Jesus told his disciples a parable. Read that last part with me. To show them... Isn't that a great word? Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. How many of us have missed a blessing because we quit too soon? God says, look, living for Jesus is not easy. you got a great legacy. Look at them. Throw off the junk or reprioritize even the good things that are hindering you and decide that you're in this thing for the long haul. Here's the last thing he tells us this evening. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, the, the, the ones that came before us are a great legacy and example, but Jesus is our model. 
And, and when he says to look to Jesus, he he's mean fix your eyes on Jesus intently, lock in on Jesus. Here's what trips me up. Here's what's tripping you up. We get our eyes on other people, don't we? We listen to the critic. We listen to that husband or wife sometimes who we deeply love, but who doesn't love Jesus maybe like they should. And they discourage us instead of us lifting them up. We look to other people who are supposed to be Christians who aren't living as they should. And when we get our eyes off Jesus, exactly what happened to Peter when he walked out on the water, we begin to sink. Fix your eyes on Christ is what he says here. When I began to drive, my dad told me this. He said, son, when you're passing a vehicle, you keep, you keep an awareness of that vehicle, but don't look at that vehicle. Don't stare at that vehicle. you got to keep your eyes straight ahead. What did I do is first I started driving. I'd look at that car. And what do you do? You start drifting into what you look at. You have to be aware of that, but you got to keep your eyes straight ahead. When I started driving a tractor, they put me on a tractor, and they said, okay, now you need to plow a straight row. And listen, you may think that's easy. It's not. It really is not, especially if you got ADD. And the medicine for ADD back in the day was the belt. They just spanked you. <laughs> and so he, my dad put me on a tractor, and he said, son, pick out a point at the end of that field and keep your eye on that point. Don't be looking around for gophers. Don't be looking, don't be humming or hoping some girl's going to come walking out of the woods because she's not. Keep, see, maybe some, tra- some farmer in overalls with chewing tobacco on his bib. Keep your eyes on a point straight ahead and that's how you'll plow a straight field. You know what? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let me tell you uh, something I've been telling you all night, but he stresses in this passage, even keeping your eyes on Jesus, it's not always going to be easy. Maybe when we get ready to baptize people, we need to stop before we get in the water. Or maybe before we lead them to Christ, we need to stop and say, look, we need to put a disclaimer out here. It's going to be hard. It's going to be way worth it but it's not going to always be easy. Look in verse 2 through 4. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter. He's the beginning, the end, and the in-between of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood yet. What is he saying here? Man, he's saying a mouthful. Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. He is God. He leaves heaven to come to earth. How many of you agree that's a pretty big deal? If you've been in heaven since eternity and you have to put on a human suit and come to earth, that's a big deal. Before indoor toilets and air conditioning, that's a big deal. Amen? And not only that, but then you get spit on, you get cursed, you get abused largely by the religious people, and then you get put on the cross. Now, we wear crosses. We have crosses in our church. Crosses are pretty. Crosses were not pretty back then. 
A, a cross was the most terrible way you could die. It was very humiliating. You were embarrassed. You were frustrated. And then you were tortured. You died a horrible death. But Jesus went through all that. You know why? Because his eyes were fixed on the right place. His eyes were fixed on the Father and they were fixed on you. Jesus said, I will go through this because it means that Luke Lewis can be saved someday if I go through this. Isn't that awesome? Jesus said, I will go through this because my eye is on the goal. It's on the finish line. The finish line says, if I die on that cross and walk out of that tomb, the salvation of the world is made possible. Forgiveness of sin is made possible. The devil loses, God wins, and people can go to heaven if I finish the race. And he did it. Isn't that wonderful? Because his eyes were on the right spot. Folks, I've said this a lot in the last few weeks because it goes with this book of Hebrews. Living the Christian life in America is going to get tougher. It's not going to get tougher because we're going to be shot, at least not right now. Strangely enough, it's getting tougher because of political correctness. And that to say the Bible is the Word of God and there's right and there's wrong and there's left and there's right is is going to cause you... To be called a bigot and, and all kinds of things. A hater. I don't know who sang this. It may have been Wayne and Stacy in the 60s. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. You remember that song? Y'all don't remember it, but it, it was a song. God never promised us a rose garden. But God promised us victory. It's going to be hard. Young people, I tell you what, it's going to be hard. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm going to be any, Jesus isn't going to have any understanding on you and I who quit and who throw in the towel here on earth. He wants us to be faithful. It's going to be hard. He wants us to be faithful. But our prize someday is we walk into heaven and we hear, well done. And we get to spend eternity in the presence of God, in the presence of one another. It's not an easy race, but it's a race we can win through Christ. In a moment, we're going to give you a chance to respond. You're not a Christian. Well, I probably scared you off tonight. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Come and give your life to Christ. You're not a member of this church and you want to be, you can join tonight. We're going to give you a chance to respond and come down the aisle and and join the church. Christian, maybe where you're standing or at the altar tonight, man, you need to repent of some things, get some things right with, with somebody else or with God. Maybe you've loosened up and you just need to tighten back up tonight and make a commitment. Listen, you can make a commitment tonight to say, Jesus, with your help, To the end, I'm going to be true. Make that commitment. Let's stand. And as God leads you, you respond. Merciful Savior.